Hey everybody, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about the gospel, especially as it is talked about at the beginning of the book of Romans. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to talk to you about something. Like for every other church, the last seven or eight months has been filled with a lot of challenges for us. And one of the unique difficulties for us and churches like ours is that we're a mobile church that normally meets in a school and that school has not been available to us for obvious reasons. And so we have had to scramble to find places to uh, do church from. This year I've preached my sermons for our Sunday service from five different locations. I did it at the school before everything was shut down. I did it at another church's offices for a little while. Thank you, Grace Chapel, for being so gracious to us. I preached from our church property. I preached from home. And uh, just last Sunday, I preached from the building that we're going to be using for the next three months, which leads me to the thing I want to talk to you about. After searching near and far, high and low, we have been blessed with the full-time 24-7 use of a church building that was sitting unused and has been sitting unused for several months. Why am I telling you this? First, I want to publicly thank God for this incredible blessing. We were running out of options and we didn't know what we were going to do when the weather turned bad because we had been meeting outside and God has really blessed us and answered our prayers in allowing us to use this building. The second reason I'm telling you this is that we would love to see you at one of our services. If you're interested in coming to one of our services, you can go to creekside.me slash church, creekside.me slash church, and there you'll be able to register for a service, plus learn about how our services are going to look and what we're doing to make them safe. The last reason I'm telling you this is that it's a unique opportunity for us as a church to have a permanent space, at least a temporary permanent space. And that has our minds and hearts just dreaming about the things that we can do. And so we are working on some special content that we would not otherwise be able to produce. And I really want to make sure that you have an opportunity to watch and listen to the content that we produce when it comes out. And so the best way to make sure that you stay in the know is to subscribe to our newsletter. And you can do that by going to creekside.me slash sign up. That's creekside.me slash sign up. But I would also encourage you to like, follow, subscribe, whatever it may be on the different social media platforms. We're especially active on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook, and we would love to connect with you there. And if you connect with us, then you will be in the know when we produce and send out new content, some of that new content that we're excited about. Again, thanks for taking time to listen to this sermon. I hope that it will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Good morning, everybody. My name is Chad. I am the pastor of Creekside. It's good to be back with all of you, kind of. Uh, I've been on vacation. Uh, I'm nervous to preach this morning. That happens after I come back from vacation. Uh, but I want to just start by asking if any of you recognize one of these. Uh, when I was a kid growing up, it's like the way that you would scare your dog. You would like slap this and they would go running. I had a terrible dog growing up. Uh, and it's the way you started fires. And it's also the way that you got your news. I swung by a gas station uh, on the way to church this morning. And you're not even going to believe this. Maybe you will believe this. Maybe you've bought a newspaper in the last five years. But there, 
$2 now to buy one of these at uh, the gas station. It used to be 50 cents, I think, the last time I bought a newspaper to read. But uh, we all know that, that this is now filled with like such bad news. Like you go through and, and I mean, it's just, it's so many things about, that's just bad. I mean, you got uh, United Airlines laying people off. You have COVID-19 stuff. I saw an article as I kind of thumbed through it uh, that, that said some country has, has labeled Subway's bread as uh, it doesn't count as bread anymore. Uh, people are nodding their heads like this is a known uh, subject. I didn't know. I was like, wow, how bad can things get? How bad can the news get? Subway, Eat Fresh is no longer even serving bread. This is really terrible. And I know that Chuck, for you know, a long period of his sermon a couple weeks ago, if you missed that, go back and listen. He talked about all the bad things that are going on in the world. And I don't want to rehash all of that. I just want to say this, that, that I think all of us can use some good news. I think all of us need, need good news in our lives because there's so much bad news. There's so many bad things going on in the world that we need good news. Today we begin a series of sermons, uh, really a series of, uh, a series of series of sermons on the book of Romans. And this is unlike anything I've ever done as the pastor of Creekside. We're going to be studying the book of Romans until June 27th. That will be the last uh, sermon in the book of Romans. But within the book, we're going to split the series up based on kind of the, the subject breaks of of the book of Romans. And we're going to start this morning with a sermon on the gospel. But before we get to that, let me just say that when I say book, I actually mean epistle. And uh, an epistle is a fancy word for a letter that we really only use when we're talking about the Bible. And the book of Romans is a letter written by a guy named Paul, we'll come back to that in a second, to a group of Christians in Rome, hence Romans. And uh, this book might be the greatest, this letter might be the greatest and most important ever written. Uh, It's the longest of Paul's letters. It contains 7,114 words, something that I know you didn't care at all about. But I think words of other famous guys that that said things about Romans will really help us to begin to understand uh, just how important this book is. John Calvin, if you've heard of him, theologian, said, when anyone understands this epistle, He has a passage open to him to the understanding of the whole of Scripture. Frederick Godet, a Swiss theologian, says it's the cathedral of the Christian faith. And Samuel Coleridge, who was an English poet, said it's the most profound work in existence. I mean, what... What makes people stop after reading this book and say that it's the most profound work in all of existence? I mean, what would, what would make somebody say that it is the cathedral of the Christian faith, like the pinnacle of the Christian faith? And I think as we go through these series, the series of series, as we look at this book as a whole, we'll begin to understand and see, if you stay along for this ride, just kind of the depth and the power of the words that Paul wrote when he wrote this letter to this group of Christians in Rome. But I think an anecdote from my own life is actually really helpful, really important, uh, maybe in understanding why this book has been uh, classified as, as so great by so many 
people. And, and here's, here's what my anecdote is. In, in college, I took a book on the book of Romans. So, you know, it's pretty important if you can have a book about a, a book, right? But, but here's the main assignment that we had in that class. Every single week, we had to read all 16 chapters of the book of Roman and take detailed notes on the book as we went through it. And so I did this for the full semester, somewhere around 15 weeks. And, and by the end, I had like a thing of notes like this big. I mean, just a huge stack of notes that I wish I had today, but I, you know, this was me when I was in college. I left them in the trunk of my car for a long time and they just got totally destroyed. But, uh, but I, I, this, this thing was so big and here's what was so profound about it. I don't remember much about the class. I don't know uh, that I, you know, that I understood the book of Romans in any meaningful way when I was done. But what I came away understanding was simply this. No matter how many times you read through the book of Romans, you still can gain knowledge and understanding that is very important and valuable. As I was going through the book the 15th time, I was still finding things that I had never seen before in the book that I hadn't even thought of when I had read through it the other 14 times. And I think that speaks to just the profundity of this book, the power of this book. No matter how many times you read through it, even consecutively, you will continue to see more and more important things, important things about the character and nature of God and important things about how we relate to him. And today, here's what we're going to see as we begin this book. You'll see just how big it is, how important it is, how deep it is right from the opening. But today, we're going to see simply this, that the gospel is good news. Here's how it begins. Romans 1.1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Paul begins this book by, by just identifying himself, and he does that in almost all of his books, but what's so interesting is that in this book, he goes to greater lengths to really tell who he is. It's probably because Paul did not plant the church in Rome, like many of the books that he writes in the New Testament. He, he planted the church, he knew the people, but here, he not planted this church, he's never traveled to Rome, he doesn't know these people, and so he, he spends a good deal of uh, time, length in this letter, identifying exactly who he is. And even in this, we begin to see some of the importance of this book, and we begin to see how good of news the gospel truly is. Is. The first thing he says is his name, Paul. I'm Paul. And, uh, for a lot of us, that wouldn't matter. I identified myself as Chad, the pastor of this church earlier. That doesn't really mean anything as far as this sermon goes. But when we read the book of Romans, it's important to, to have in our minds the backdrop of Paul's life. Because it, it really brings to life so much of what he says in the book. Paul was a uh, Pharisee. That meant he was a religious leader, a religious scholar. Uh, he was zealous for the Jewish faith. And in fact, so zealous for the Jewish faith that he began to persecute Christians because he thought that Christians or people of the way had left the Jewish faith and they were teaching blasphemous things that were anti-God. And so Paul got it in his mind that he was gonna hunt down people 
who were professing Christians and he was going to persecute them, arrest some of them, beat some of them. And so Paul began to do this. And on one of his trips on, a, uh, on the road to Damascus, Paul encountered the resurrected Jesus. Jesus showed up to him in a, in a bright light and he, he asked Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul's like, who are you? And he's like, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. And, and from that moment on, Paul's entire life was changed. He became a Christian that served Jesus maybe more passionately than any person has ever served Jesus uh, before him or after him. And so when we, when we read this book, we must remember first that, that Paul is not just speaking as some you know, theologian from a cold-hearted place. He is talking as a man whose life was changed by the gospel that he is going to explain to us in the book of Romans. In fact, he calls himself a servant, and it's a word that's better translated, more accurately translated as slave. It's a humble statement, and it's a statement that shows Paul's heart. He is fully fully devoted to Jesus. I think that this phrase becomes even more interesting when we see where it comes from. It's actually a phrase, uh, slave of God that was used, or slave of the Lord that was used in the Old Testament. And it began with a man named Moses. And if you don't know Moses' story, Moses has an incredible story. Moses uh, was was born in a time when the, the Pharaoh of Egypt was killing Jewish babies and, and his mom put him in a basket, floated him down a river. If you grew up in church, you know that story. And then uh, by uh, providential circumstances, God ordained circumstances, uh, Moses becomes the son of, of Pharaoh's daughter, the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. He's a, he's a prominent man in, in the Egyptian world, but, but he ends up killing somebody in Egypt and he flees and he leaves and gets married and uh, it kind of goes, his story goes like that. And then God, God one day meets Moses and says, I want you to go back and I want you to tell Pharaoh to set my people free. Long story short, uh, Moses ends up going back to Egypt. He tells Pharaoh, Pharaoh doesn't listen. God does a series of uh, miraculous plagues and eventually the Jewish people are set free. Uh, they leave the slavery and oppression of Egypt and then Moses begins to call himself a slave of the Lord. And I see such a profound picture here that Moses, as he recognizes the freedom of his people, says, look, I've been set free from the tyranny, from the oppression, from the slavery of the Egyptians. But because of how great this gift is of freedom, I have now fully and wholly devoted myself to the Lord so much so that I can call myself a slave of the Lord. And Paul takes this language and I think recognizes much of the same stuff in himself spiritually. He has been set free from from sin, he has been set free from death, he has been set free from the ways of Satan, and now because he has experienced such incredible grace, he looks at God and says, I, I recognize how much you have given me, and so I will devote myself to you. I will be your slave, because to be your slave is so much better than to be a slave to myself and to my sin and to death. Paul calls himself an apostle. It's just a word that, that refers to somebody who was commissioned personally and directly by Jesus to share the gospel. Not just to share the gospel, but to receive it and to formulate it and to defend it and to maintain it and to proclaim it. And so Paul sees himself, Paul is somebody who has been directly equipped and called by Jesus himself to preach and teach and defend the gospel. And at the end of this thing, Paul says, in fact, that he's been set apart for the gospel. 
Uh, you may not find this interesting, but I did. There's this word that we often translate as holy in the New Testament that's often translated as holy. And that word pretty much means set apart. But here Paul uses a different word to say he's set apart for the gospel. A word that means like divided or separated. And I think Paul uses this different word to talk about his special role in the history of Christianity. He has been divided from everything else. He has been set apart from everything else for one single purpose. The purpose of, of the gospel. Of the gospel. Let me, I just want to pause, maybe parenthetical statement here and say, as we begin to study this book together, and I hope you'll study it with me, as we begin to study this book together, I think it's really important that we just recognize who is writing it. It's not just some guy, it is the Apostle Paul, a man with a sinful past, we'll talk more about that later, who has been saved by grace, who has been fully set apart, uh, divinely equipped in order to spread the gospel to the known world. A man who sees himself as a slave of Christ, who has the authority from God to write this letter, and, and, who's, and who has devoted himself entirely to the spread of the gospel. I think all of that makes this book just absolutely worth paying attention to. Whether you're a, a longtime Christian or somebody who's kind of on the fence about Christianity. Or maybe somebody who's just completely rejected Christianity outright. I think that when you see, when you think about, when you process who this guy is that wrote this letter. It's at least worth examining what he wrote in it. But before we leave verse one, I think we just have to pause and, and we have to just think about this last word, the gospel. The gospel. It's the name of our sermon series. I've already said it a bunch of times this morning. And so it's really important to ask, what is, what is the gospel? Paul makes a big deal about the gospel to open this letter. That's why we're doing a whole sermon series called The Gospel. Uh, the Greek word that translates this is euangelion, and, and this is how it's defined on the Bible.org, which is an incredible resource. I know I tell you that a lot. It's important uh, that you go to the Bible.org. It's a great resource for studying scripture, but this is how it defines it. It says, from Homer to Plutarch, the reward, it's the reward for a good message. And then later Greek writers use it in the, simp, the simple sense of good message or, or good message news. It was a word that was just, just meant good news. And what happens is that the New Testament writers, they take that word that was just a common word in the Greek and Roman world, and they, they take it and they say, you know what? We're going to use that word for our own purposes, that word gospel, that word good news for our own purposes. And what they do is they add the word the in front of it, and they, they put the in front of it, and they say, here's the story of Christianity is the gospel or the good news. It's the story of Jesus that is at the heart of Christianity. It's the story of Jesus that is in the hearts of every person who is a Christian. That's what the gospel is. But why did the New Testament writers take this kind of neutral word, this general word, and, and then put the in front of it and use it as their own? I think it's because they understood that the story of Jesus, the story of Christianity, isn't just good news. It is absolutely the best news. They knew that in, in being apostles that were, that were equipped and called by Jesus himself to, to protect the story, to share the story, to write about the story. They knew they didn't just have like a little bit of kind of okay news. They had the absolute greatest news that the world has ever known. They knew that they had news that eclipsed, that 
overrode, that quashed, that put down all of the bad news that exists in the world. And so they say, you know what? Here's what we're going to refer to the story of Jesus as. We're going to call it the, the good news. The good news. The body of this book, Romans, is really a treatise on the gospel or of the gospel, the story of Jesus. The uh, intro and conclusions of the books are filled with these words for gospel, uh, uh, both for preaching the gospel and gospel as a noun. And, and you know, right, like intro and conclusions, they're very important for understanding what, what the book as a whole is going to be about, what this letter as a whole is going to be about. And it's all about, in some ways, the gospel. And what follows in Paul's introduction to this book is really a brief but incredible explanation of what the gospel is. It describes the gospel for us. And in doing so, it begins to show us why it is such good news. News that goes beyond all of the bad news. Good news that supersedes all of the bad that surrounds us. The first thing Paul says is right here in verse 1 still. He says it's the good news of God. Now I bring that up because it's going to permeate the entirety of this book. Leon Morris, who wrote a great uh, book on the book of Romans, on the letter of Romans, says everything Paul touches in this letter, he relates to God. Some say that God is, is really the point of the entire book. And, and so here, Paul at the very beginning says, this is a gospel, the gospel of God, the gospel, the good news of God, which I think makes it even better news, right? Because if it's the good news of Chad, it's the, if it's the good news of you, then it's only, you know, it's not that good of news. But this is the good news of the creator of the universe, the one who sustains our lives, the one who is, has done all things. This is all good things. This is his good news. And here's how Paul goes on to describe it in verses two through four. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now there's a lot of debate about certain phrases and nuances in, in these verses right here. But today I don't want to focus on the debate. I want to focus instead on how, how great it is, the things that Paul says here. And, and here's what Paul says. Let me just kind of bullet point these things for you. What Paul says about the gospel. First he says, the gospel is attested to in scripture. I think this is important to remember. It's not like uh, Paul just starts writing this good news. This is something that was predicted in the Old Testament. And furthermore, as I'll talk about in just a second, it's something that was promised for hundreds and thousands of years before Jesus got here. The story of Jesus, the gospel, does not come in a vacuum. It does not come out of nowhere. Instead, it was predicted and promised for hundreds and thousands of years before Jesus came to earth. That's, in fact, what Ben Witherington uh, points out in his commentary on this epistle. He says, the Old Testament didn't really predict the gospel, but instead it promised the gospel. It promised that good news was coming. From Genesis to Isaiah to Daniel to Malachi, if you know those books, there's the promise of the story of Jesus, the promise of a Christ, a Messiah who would come to this earth, who would make things right for people, who would bring such good news, who would be such good news, that it would make all the bad news fade into the background of our lives. 
The gospel is good news in part because the gospel was promised news. News that people looked forward to forever and ever before it became a reality. The gospel is about Jesus. I think one of the great mistakes we've made in American Christianity is that we, we make the gospel about us. We make the good news of God about us, but really the story, the good news is about Jesus. Paul describes a lot about Jesus and what he did right here in this little, these three little verses. And in fact, he describes so much in such a short period that some people think he's drawing from an old Christian creed. He talks about Jesus' birth, his death, his resurrection, and his current reign. It's the things that I talk about every single week that I preach when I preach the gospel to you. In every sermon, I include the story of Christianity, the good news. And this is the way that I tell it. I think it's important to do it again today as we talk about the gospel. Uh, The gospel is simply this, uh, that we are sinners, that we have rejected God's way and will for our lives, that we have done things that God said we ought not do. In fact, we rejected God so badly that we became his enemies in our souls. But God did not decide to condemn us to an eternity in hell. Instead, what God did is he sent his son, Jesus. Jesus was born of a virgin named Mary. Jesus lived a perfectly sinless life, never doing wrong, not a single time. And at the end of that sinless life, near the end of that sinless life, Jesus began to do ministry. He walked the earth preaching and teaching and healing and feeding and doing miracles. And three years into that ministry, it was time for him to suffer and die for our sins. And so Jesus allowed for himself to be uh, arrested and mocked and beaten and tortured and then crucified, nailed to a cross. And on that cross, he didn't just suffer an excruciating physical death. The weight of all of our sin, all of the things that we have done wrong, all of the ways that we have rejected God, turned our back on God, were laid upon him. And he felt, he felt the punishment of hell. Not only did he feel the punishment of hell, but in fact, he paid the punishment of hell. But the story does not end there because that would not be good news. It would not be the good news. After three days, dead in a grave, Jesus came back to life. He came back from the dead, thus conquering the grave for us. He then ascended into heaven and now all those who place their faith in the gospel, all those, as Paul says it in our passage, who become obedient to, the, to faith in the gospel, They get to live in eternity in heaven. This is the gospel story. It's centered around Jesus. It's driven by Jesus. It's his good news. It's good news for us, but it's not good news about us. It's good news about Jesus. Paul continues, he says in verse five, through him we've received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. There's quite a bit here, but the the most important thing for you to see this morning is that the gospel is for all people. If it wasn't for all people, then it wouldn't be the good news. It would be good news, but it wouldn't be the good news. For Paul, he's pointing out that the gospel isn't just for Jews. But as we look through this book as a whole, we'll discover that it isn't just for good people. It isn't for people who grew up in the right homes. It isn't for upper middle class people. It isn't just for white people. It isn't just for any type of person. The gospel is the gospel. It is the good news because it is for every single person. If you're sitting at home right now and you're you're just 
maybe just wondering somewhere deep inside your soul, is the story of Jesus that Chad just told for me? Paul answers it emphatically here and throughout this book. Yes, it is absolutely for you. Because I think we don't care that much about the theology of it. Like we don't care, is it for Jew and Gentile? Is it for rich and poor? We care more about this question. Is the gospel for me? Is this good news for me? And you'll see throughout this book and in all of Paul's epistles that the gospel is for you. The story of Jesus is not just for everybody else. It is for you. And this makes the gospel good news. The gospel calls us to obedience that comes from faith. What does this mean? The New International Commentary on the New Testament is kind of lengthy. Stay with me. says, the obedience to Christ as Lord is always closely related to faith both as an initial decisive step of faith and as a continuing faith relationship with Christ. Obedience always involves faith and faith always involves obedience. They should not be equated, compartmentalized, or made into separate stages of Christian faith. Notice that there, to become a Christian requires obedience, to take a step of faith requires obedience, but then to live out that faith, something that we spent several weeks talking about this summer, to live out our faith also requires obedience. I'll come back to that in a minute because I think that that is good news. The goal of the gospel is God's glory. That's what it means by for his name's sake. Paul wants us to understand that the goal of all this is not just so that we get to go to heaven, not just so that our sins will be forgiven. The goal of all this is that we might be glorifiers of God, that we might experience and express the glory of God as we often say it in this church. But Paul is not done because he finishes this opening with with a beautiful description of what it means to be a Christian. And in that description, we see more of why the gospel is good news. Listen to Romans 1, 6, and 7. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Christians are called by God. I like this imagery. I grew up playing sports. I still play sports. At least I did seven months ago or whatever. Uh, and, and I think of whenever I, I see the word called, I think of somebody being picked for a sports team. And man alive, it is a horrible feeling. Not one that I would know, but a horrible feeling to be standing there in line and, and just be like, are they going to pick me for their team? Am I going to get picked? Am I going to get picked? Uh, one story to illustrate this from my own life, jokes aside, I in fifth grade, uh, tried out for a national, um, national tournament basketball team. BCI is the name. And uh, I, I, I was picked as an alternate. And man, I felt like somebody had shot my dog uh, being picked as an alternate. And I remember the night, I don't know if somebody dropped out or whatever. I remember the night that I got the call and, and somebody had stopped playing or whatever and I was on the team and I celebrated like I had won the championship out in my front yard that night because I had been picked. I had been chosen to go to Minneapolis and be a part of this team. It's important to feel like somebody is calling us, like somebody is picking us. Other synonyms for this Greek word that translates called uh, invited or welcomed. 
I think we're all just missing that so much right now, aren't we? Like, we don't feel like anybody's invited us over. We don't feel welcomed. There's no, no connection. And, and, and in the story of Jesus, in the gospel, the good news, we see that God has picked us. He's called us. He's invited us into his family. He's welcomed us to be a part of a relationship with him. And that makes the gospel good news. And then it says that we're loved by God. I don't want to say a lot about that this morning. I just want to remind you of that. And I don't know, as I, as I wrote my notes here, I, I put in yellow and underlined, I think someone needs a reminder of this, that you're loved by God. You are loved by God. God loved you so much that he came to earth to die for your sins. But God, God just loves you. And I know that, you know, you mess up and you do things wrong and, and maybe you grew up in a home where you didn't experience a lot of love, but you need to understand that the creator of this universe, the one who sustains all life, he, he loves you. He doesn't just love everybody. He loves you. I think it might be the best part of the good news of the gospel. Uh, but also Christians are called to be holy. And I think there's a blessing, and it's the part of the good news that maybe you don't like, like holiness being set apart for the gospel. We talked about obedience earlier, and sometimes I don't think that we connect this to the, the good portion, portion of the news that is the story of, of Jesus. We think, oh man, I gotta, I gotta try to live differently, I gotta try to be holy, I gotta try to you know, follow the Ten Commandments, I gotta try to live my life for God now. Like This is, this is the part of the good news that sometimes we treat as bad news. But let me just make a little bit of a case for, for uh, this being good news. Uh, I know from personal experience that, that when I do things that God does not want me to do, it never makes my life any better. In fact, it always makes my life worse. I think an easy way to illustrate this, I've never been much of a liar, so maybe that's why I'm picking this illustration, but like, have you ever, have you ever lied to people and then you, you have to cover that lie and you, you find yourself just, you know, the web of lies growing and you're covering and you're, you're trying to, you know, fix it and tell a different person this and a different person that and all that. I mean, the, the amount of stress and, uh, and thought that, that it takes to cover up lies is, is no fun. It's really difficult. And if you just would have gone back to the beginning and, and been obedient to God in the first place, then you never would have incurred all that stress. You never would have had to live with all of that worry and, you know, thinking and all that. I think that's true of all sin. Uh, I think that sin is sin because it's bad for us, not just that it's bad for us because it's sin. Does that make sense? God looked down and he wanted the best for his people. And so he started to give rules, parameters, guidelines for how we can live our lives the best way possible. If you've at all fallen into addiction, addiction that you knew was sinful, then you know that it's not good for you. You don't like it. And what's true in scripture, what it tells us is that before we're Christians, we're actually enslaved to sins. We're actually addicted to sinning. We can't break free from it. But part of what makes the gospel the good news is that when we become Christians, we have the power to break sin in our lives. It doesn't mean that we immediately stop sinning. It doesn't mean that we don't have to work at it. It doesn't mean that we'll be fully and 100% over our sin, maybe in this entire, well, probably in our entire lives. But it means that we have the ability to break free from sin and to live the abundant life that God has called us to. 
And so when it says here that Christians are to be holy, this is good news. It in fact enhances the good news that is the gospel because it means that we can be free from sin and all of its consequences. But Paul adds two words before he finishes. These two words are are not far from a typical greeting in the Roman world, but, but for Christians, these words, they have so much more importance than they can have for just anybody. The first is grace. We know that this is God's unmerited favor if we've been around the church. It's, it, it's the, uh, the favor of God that we completely don't deserve. It's what makes the gospel possible. It's the difference between God looking at us and saying, well, you've rejected me, you've been disobedient to me, and so I'll condemn you. And God saying, instead of that, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come down there and I'm going to pay the consequence of sin for you. That is grace. The good things that we have in Christianity, the the ability to have peace and forgiveness and love, to be called, invited into the family of God, to look forward to an eternity of heaven, it all stems from the grace of God. And Paul reminds us of this as he says, grace and peace be with you. Peace is a word that that is drawn uh, from the Hebrew idea of shalom. Maybe you've heard that. Shalom means wholeness or wellness. And as was mentioned earlier by my dad as he did the announcements, it's uh, such an important word that it is part of maybe the most traditional of all traditional Christian greetings. Peace, to be made whole, to be made well. It's something that can only happen as we become obedient to the faith. A faith in Jesus. A faith in the story of Jesus. A faith in the good news that is the gospel. And so from the beginning of this book, and, and you know, so much of this book is driven by this, but from the beginning of this book, it is just important for us to understand that the story of Jesus, the story that we know as the gospel is the good news, the good news. I think with all that's going on in the world right now, I think that we would all do well to just turn our attention to the good news that, that rises above all of this, that makes all of this fade into the background. And, and to focus once again on how incredible the gospel truly is. And we're gonna do that over the next few weeks. But this morning, I just wanna finish with, with just this. So often we, we convolute the story of Jesus uh, we convolute it, we, we make it uh, something to be studied and not embraced. We forget about its greatness. I mean, in some ways, Christians all around the world are under attack because, because people look at our beliefs and they're different and they're, you know, they're, they're frowned upon in ever-changing world. And it can make us forget how incredibly good the good news of the gospel is. And so for you this week, this day, my hope is that, that you just do your best, if you're a Christian, to just remember how good the story of Jesus is. I think over time, after we become Christians, we just drift from that. We add knowledge to our faith, and we, we over time just forget about how good the good news of Jesus is. But maybe this morning, as, as you think about the words I've preached, that you could just, you could just be drawn back to how good of news it is. And for those of you that aren't Christians, I just, I just want to say to you, 
I don't know what you know about the story of Jesus. I don't know what people have talked to you about. I don't know how maybe it's been tainted in your life by things that aren't even a part of it. Maybe the way people have treated you that go to church. Maybe you have neighbors that call themselves Christians and they're not very good. Maybe you grew up in a home with parents who were, were not very loving and, and they professed a faith in Christ. I just, for you, I would just tell you this morning that if you just open up the Bible, maybe open up the book of Romans and start to read it, you'll see that that behind all of those things that can taint uh, the story of Jesus for you, it is really just this incredible story of great news, the good news. And I would encourage you to not let people's actions, not let maybe things you've heard about the gospel taint the reality of the gospel, which is absolutely the greatest news that the world has ever known. This morning, no matter where you have come from, no matter what you think about Jesus before this, maybe all the distractions going on at home right now, your kids running around, all that, I I just need you to hear this because sometimes we can forget. The gospel is good news. Let me pray that you will remember that and understand that. Lord Jesus, I thank you for coming to earth. God, I know that sometimes I'm so far from Paul and and, uh, these words. I forget, Lord, that I am first and foremost your servant. I forget, Lord, how incredibly gracious you have been to me. I forget, Lord, that, that the gospel is good news. And I focus, Lord, so frequently on all of the bad news Uh, And I I, I can forget the good news, Lord. I pray that I wouldn't be that way. And I pray, God, even uh, more this morning for the people who are watching online, even this group of people in the band this morning running our live stream, God, um, my dad doing the announcements. I pray for all of us, Lord, that no matter what we have thought, no matter, you know, how it's been tainted in our lives, that we remember the gospel is the greatest news. And, and we would let all of the, the difficulties, the struggles of life fade into the background. And what would drive our lives, what we'd be set apart for is the good news, Lord. And everything else, it can, you know, exist and be bad and we can be sad and all that. But, but I pray we'd be set apart for this incredibly great news, the story of you, Jesus. I pray, God, if there's people watching online right now who have not committed their lives to you, who have never embraced the gospel, who have never chosen to be obedient to the faith, I pray that this day, this moment, you would call them, God, and as you whisper in their souls, Lord, that they should embrace you, that they should come to you, I pray that they would not reject this moment, but they would choose to give their lives to you, to be obedient to the faith. God, and so that they would not just understand in a mental way how good this news is, but in their souls, Lord, they would come to experience how good the good news of the gospel is. I pray these things, Lord, in your name, amen.